All right. Welcome to another installment of the Outdoor Adventures podcast. I've got with me today, Dylan Williams from West Slope Outdoors. And we've got two really special guests in my cousin, Jason Williams, and my cousin, Chris Williams. They're brothers and just amazing guys. And I'm just grateful for them and grateful to have them here in the studio today. So we're going to be talking, uh, this is going to be the a series of hunting stories. And we're going to lead off with just probably how we all got started in hunting. And I, I started thinking about this before we came today. And my first memory of a hunting trip, I was 10 years old. And so I couldn't carry a gun. So that was 33 years ago. And, you know, Jason is, was the leader of our pack, if you will, as far as the cousins go. So he was the oldest cousin. We all looked up to him. He'd been hunting with our dads and uncles before the rest of us. And so our first trip there, we looked to him to know how to do what we were supposed to do. And I just remember how exciting I was, it was to go because dad had always gone with his brothers. We weren't allowed to go right away. And I, now that I have my own kids, I totally understand that because this is your time away and you want to spend time out there with your family and having to watch your kids may not always be the best part of it. So he waited till he felt like we were ready to go. So I was 10. My brother, Seth, was seven, which I can't imagine taking a seven-year-old. Uh, my son was definitely not ready to go at seven. But um, anyway, Jason, you had hunted with the old man before the rest of us got there. So why don't you kind of take us back to your first memory of a hunting trip and, and what that was all about and just memories of the things that you did with those guys or maybe something that really stood out on a trip or something like that. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Uh, I think the most important thing for me, when I think back to the first hunting trip I went on with everybody, was just the lead up to it, uh, listening to stories from my uncles and my dad and my grandpa, talking about the different hunts they'd had and, and seeing pictures that they'd taken. Um, my grandpa, Milt, was really good at at telling stories, so it was it was a lot of fun. I I would go spend time over there and listen, listen to him. And how, how old were you then? I, I think my first year I was 11 that I went over. I was 11 years old. Um, I didn't, didn't have a gun. I had a pellet gun, a uh, BB gun. So we did, I did a lot of that learning how to hunt. I did a lot of following guys around, making a lot of noise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> your, your dad was one of them. He was really great. All my uncles were teaching me how, you know, how to hunt and how to get through the woods a little bit. Um, I had a lot of fun. It was, it was a heck of a experience for a kid. Your first time going out on those week long trips away from home. And after you went that first time, you were hooked just like your son. We talked about this last time about how it's like once you go, it's like okay, because I, I mean, I automatically equate you with hunting, right? Like you've sure. all, and, and, and when we were growing up and we'd go on these hunts, we would look to you as the mentor, like, okay, what do we do? We don't know what we're doing and we don't know how to do anything. And I, I think I shared on the last episode about how you taught me how to drive in the snow, for example, you yeah. know, it was like in between something, we were going to town to get something and then some snow had come in the night before and you're just telling us how to put the brakes on slowly, just basic stuff. But when you, I was a sponge. You know, and for me, I didn't have a lot of social stuff because I was homeschooled. And so it was like 
getting out there with you guys, I was like learning real world lessons, if you will. And yeah, dad showed me all kinds of things. But um, yeah, I mean, you were kind of that first mentor for all of us that brought us into this. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was, I learned a lot from those guys. I'll tell you that. They, they, uh, they were really good at leading you through. We're not a very good communicating family <laughs> when we're all together out in the woods, but they, they sure took time to, to teach us the, the art of hunting, basically. Mm. Um, we had a lot of, as kids, we had a lot of missteps. You know, we would do a lot of goofy stuff when we were hanging around camp, but they were just memories you can't replace. It was, and still is, basically the only time that we get to, to see everybody. Yeah. Um, my uncles, I, I see them during hunting season. You guys, I see during hunting season. So that's the best part of it for me. Yeah. And I think as kids, especially, we looked forward to that time all year. I mean, we would, as soon as we were on our way home, we were already thinking about what are we going to do next year? You know? And I've talked about this before too, how our dads would really plan out those meals and they plan out where we were going. We'd always have some elaborate drive plan for opening morning where we do some drive hunt that never worked, um, <laughs> but it was always fun. And we'd all get out there or, you know, like our individual families would go in different directions. Like I'm going to go here, you're going to go here. And it, the planning like you got is part of the fun. I mean, whether we saw animals or not, it was just having a plan and executing the plan that was different than our normal. And when we first started, there was none of this technology. There was no cell phones. There was no Onyx apps. Mm -hmm. So my dad would take us out with a compass and he'd say, okay, look at that large burnt snag. Take a bearing on your compass as we get away from camp and then shoot a bearing again mm -hmm. so that you know where you are relative to camp. And as a kid, I think we all think kids now, the YouTube generation or whatever, can't pay attention to anything. But even then, my dad would be telling me what to do, and I was yeah, yeah on him. I was like, yeah, 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 dad, I got it. But I, oh, yeah. in my mind, I was going, I'm not going to leave dad's side because I don't know what he's talking about, <laughs> you know. 100%. But I still do that with my son today as I'll go and do a compass reading because, you know, that's the simplest way to not get lost. Well, and I think for uh, at least for me, for sure, uh, I remember those first few years, I would just get turned loose. I mean, the, they would teach me, uh, all the guys would teach me, what I needed to pay attention to. And I would go on hunts by myself as a 11 or 12 year old kid, 12, 13 year old kid um, in a foreign land to me, basically. You think back or you think to now, we would have never done that. Um, but those are some of really great moments of hunting for me is just going out there by myself, making mistakes, watching deer explode in front of me because I wasn't paying attention. I was looking at my feet or you know, those sort of things. So that was a lot of fun. I think the thing that stuck with me the most with uh, when I'm looking back on all those hunts, how well organized and prepared our dads were. I never went to town, ever. I don't know if we're just a softer bunch and we're, we're all kind of disorganized and frayed a little bit. So we go over there with all our, you know, everybody kind of brings their own stuff and we end up going to town two or three times, it seems like. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, those guys were ready. I mean, they planned it out. They mapped it out. They knew what they were going to eat. They knew what they were going to... But the other memory I have is we always hunted morning and evening. Yeah, And we it. hung around camp during the rest of the day, just hanging out and having fun, shooting BB guns with each other. And now when we go, we hunt hard all day from yeah. sun up to sundown because we want to get after it, you know? And back then it was a little, I would say, a more leisurely pace. 
but maybe because they were so organized, it could be that way. Yeah, I think so. There's probably a lot to that because we do, we grind pretty hard now and we never used to exactly like you say. I mean, it was like clockwork by 10 o'clock. Everybody was back in camp having breakfast. Some of the guys would take a nap. Us kids would go shoot stuff with BB guns or... And is I gotta, it, is I, it was that they were less organized or more organized or just less soft? Because yeah. I think that's a lot of it. I think you hit the nail on the head, Jason. The softness of, of us, you know, even though we think we're tough men, we can go out and do what we got to do. I think sometimes they just, they didn't rely on much, you know, so they didn't, they didn't worry about it. I think they were pretty organized in the grand scheme of things, but... I also think we're a little bit softer than they were for sure. And they could get by with less. Exactly. Like we see all this gear and we got to have all this spotting oh, scopes and all this shit. stuff. Yeah. And they're out there on a trail 90 with their gun on their shoulder, just cranking up a hill. You <laughs> exactly. Know? Yeah. Exactly. So Chris, talk about a little bit hunting with this guy as your brother and what that was like, because, you know, for us, he was our cousin and our mentor. That was an easy spot for, for us to be in, but you're his br- younger brother, not by too much some big shoes to fill with this guy, right? And you guys have hunted together your whole lives. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. So for me, it was as the younger brother, obviously I look up to my big brother and I'll never be able to fill those shoes by any means, but I always strive to. The biggest thing that I remember as my first memories is the yearning and longing to go hunting. You know, I would see my older brother and my dad and my uncles go out and hunt and I'm the youngster back kind of thinking about what adventure they're on and then all the stories that would come back. So it just, it magnified the experience even more for me. Um, you know, so when I got to finally go, uh, I think I was 10, same age as you. Um, I, I didn't, you know, didn't even go with the intention of doing much hunting. I was just trying to learn and, and take in the experience and, it, it was, I think the last year grandpa Milt went that I happened to be there so there's a cool memory there. Um, just the, the taking a walk with Grandpa Milt and the old 243 that I think Dylan has now, that bird's eye maple gun is phenomenal. That was an experience that I'll never forget. You know, we didn't go very far, but just the talk and the opportunity to, to share and spend some time with my grandpa was pretty cool. And then the experience of, of your dad and and, you know, obviously spending time with my dad and and uncle Charlie and the gang. It was just, I don't know. It was, it was just as magical as I thought when I was six years old, wondering what they were doing when they were going over there to hunt. So to me, that's my first and best memory is just that first trip, you know, just going over there. It's like, you're going into a different land, a different entire area and just, uh, all the cool experiences and, and the memories from that, I, you know, I'll never forget that. But, you know, and then when I started being able to go and actually hunt with my brother, you know, we got stories and stories of, of adventures that we've been on. But, uh, again, just to, just that first time was super memorable. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, you look at um, those memories. We've talked about this before, Dylan, and how those memories out there just stay with you forever. And, like, most of us, we forget what happens during our work week, but you could go back to that first hunting trip and you're probably still thinking of those memories as it's flashing through your head. I remember a time where we were in camp and that meteor came down and it lit up the sky like nothing I've ever seen. And we thought 
the world was ending and an asteroid was going to come right down and land yeah. at camp because it was so bright and so vivid and just seeing the stars so bright and the, the night sky and sleeping outside with everybody by the fire, all those little things just, uh, you, you can't forget that stuff and you can't replace it with anything else. There's no video game or, you know, TV no. show you can watch that's going to give you that same feeling as being out there and doing it. We were out this year uh, on our deer hunt and, you know, we had all the amenities, all the all that gear you're talking about that us youngsters always like to bring. And the old guys, they don't they don't really care for all that. But uh, I think Jason had brought his trailer. It was nice deer season over in the Ochicos. I think Dad and Uncle Charlie had drawn tags, so we just decided to head over to have a trip and kind of we hadn't done it for a while. But to get back out on our cots and and you know everybody's lined up under the stars. Uh, it's pretty cool. I agree. That's one of the funnest times right there is just sitting down or laying down in your cot at night, looking up at the sky and, and talking as a group. It's, it's, there's no replacement for those memories. Pretty awesome. Well, and all those guys are getting older, right? I, you know, we don't have that many hunting seasons left, really. I mean, the reality of it is we're all, our time is limited no matter what age you are and, you know, get out there and enjoy it. So Dylan, you know, your next generation coming up. And Chris, your son, Jake, also hunts. And, you know, these boys, you guys have got them into some really big bucks and they've learned a lot from you guys. So talk about that with having these two guys as your mentor and mentors and what that was like. Well, like I said in the episode one, when we kind of, well, I was touching on this subject a little bit. Um, I've learned everything that I need or that I have learned up to this point about not even just hunting, fishing, just life in general from mainly these two guys from those experiences. They've been with me basically every single day out in the woods and it's been the most fun. I look forward to every season that we have, even just blacktail hunting around here. I cannot wait for Saturday morning to see uncle Chris show up 30 minutes late at my parents' house. <laughs> 10, 10. <laughs> All right, we'll go with 10. 10. Uh, but there's just nothing better loading up in the pickup and it's still exciting. The deer hunting's not as great as going over East, but it's still the most fun I ever had. Yeah. And we've mostly, these hunting trips we're talking about are mostly Eastern Oregon, but I did a little research on our roots, if you will. And our great grandfather, James Joshua Williams, he had a camp and it was Jim's auto camp. And the research I've done on auto camps, it was basically like a campground. And, you know, the acreage, one document shows 96 acres, another one shows about 140, but it was on the Klamath River. And, you know, guys would come there and fish and catch salmon. But we also have a photo of a, a really nice mule deer buck. I think it's a mule deer. It might be a blacktail, but it's on the top of a, the hood of a vehicle. So we had some roots in hunting a couple generations back. And then our grandpa Milt that these guys referenced, the area we used to hunt, he drove through that area and told his boys, because there was deer everywhere running across the street. This is how the story goes. Someday we're going to hunt this place, boys. You know, that was, that's what we, you know, and there was just deer everywhere. And so I think he really did love hunting. Our grandpa did. I only got to go on one hunt with him. And that was that first year. And at that point he was kind of like, these kids shouldn't be in camp, you know, was his attitude, you know, like, but I mean, I still have that memory of him. He made these giant cheeseburgers that were about five inches thick (laughs) and he'd only seared each end. So it was a, it was a totally raw burger. Oh yeah. And they were full of onions and peppers. And we, my brother and I, we took a bite and we're like, 
Same here. Yeah, we can't eat that, you know? And so we <laughs> handed them all to your guys' dad, Uncle Billy, and he ate all, like, five of them because he didn't want his dad to be offended that nobody liked the food. So he just mowed him down. I was like, get that over here. And he and uh, <laughs> On an onion bun, no doubt. Probably. Yeah, definitely an onion Which, bun. You know, 10-year-old kids love onion buns. Yeah, yeah sure. we love... <laughs> and raw burgers. Yeah, we were really into that. But, no, it, some of my best memories, too, of hunting with your guys' dad was a couple things that he would always say was a clean camp is a happy camp. He would always be honest for keeping yep. the camp clean. And then whenever we'd be out in the woods looking for deer and I'd be walking with him and he's teaching me to be quiet and stuff. And let's say we'd see a doe. He'd always talk to the doe and he'd be like, come on, Frank. And Frank was his <laughs> name for the generic buck that was with that doe. And we would sit there and watch that doe and watch that doe. And he'd be like, come on, Frank. I know you're in there. Come on, Frank. And he would just be talking to the trees, waiting for Frank. And, you know, Frank usually wasn't there, but yeah. um, that was just a memory that I've always had uh, of your dad. And, I mean, all the guys, you got those little moments like you're talking about with them where you're out there and they're showing you things, how to be quiet, how to look for tracks, how to read sign, all those things we got from our dads and our uncles and grandpa, you know. Do you, yeah. guys, do you guys remember when you first saw this picture when we'd go over to grandpa's house? I remember vividly my dad and grandpa showing me this picture. And then there was also one that had dented a hood of a car similar. I mean, for you, those of you listening, it's a, it's a split window, old, probably old Ford or Chevy car with a giant mule deer buck laid in rope down on top of it. But this picture and the other one I was, I was referencing kind of started the mystique for me. Cause when you're a little kid and you see a picture like this, you're like, Oh my gosh, you know, uh, it's just you don't even know what you're looking at, really, and then the stories that go along with it are pretty incredible. But I do, you know, looking at that just brings back a pretty cool memory. Yeah, and that gives you that anticipation of the hunt too. When you see the pictures, like Jason talked about earlier, it's like he saw the pictures of those hunts, and that built up into his desire to wanting to go. Um, let's think about some stories that we could tell in regards to some of those experiences let's go a little deeper and i got a couple questions too about that first time yeah if you don't that's, mind that's good um dad that first year that you went was that were you the only kid in camp yeah i was the only kid for three or four years i think uh, in camp so i had a lot of a lot of one-on-one -on -one with all the people that i looked up to that was a lot of fun i i think when i think back about those hunts one one of the things that I kind of get stuck on, I don't think our dads were as focused on results as we are. You know, we're kind of that instant gratification generation of people, I think. They were more into just the experience, uh, the trip, and the success came because they were great hunters. But they weren't so ultra-focused on harvesting a deer it was more about the entire experience which I think that changed when we started getting involved because we all had desire to get out there and best each other and so our hunting days turned in from before daylight till after dark uh, just a grind fest um, which I love because it's all I want to do but when you do think back about that riding trail 90s around camp or Honda trail 70s um building little courses in the middle of the day when it's hot, sneaking up with a Red Rider BB gun and getting somebody in the back when they got a big heavy coat on. 
uh, or my ass while I'm laying on the on the uh, cot. Those, those sort of things are. I mean, that's just almost I, uh, the harvest and and seeing the success and watching your dad or uncles harvest a big deer is just mesmerizing. But from this perspective now, at this age, looking back, it those memories of all those little little things that we did throughout the day when we were just relaxing and being a family. Um, they're right there. I mean, that was fun. Like you and I setting up decoys to get uh, camp robbers to come into our BB gun setup <laughs> when we were kids. <laughs> well, yeah, and you're, I remember back to the BB gun thing, we were all set up to go hunt Jason. So he'd put on all this heavy gear. He had safety glasses on. And you know how kids, we plan things without permission sometimes. Oh, yeah. So we're knee deep in this plan of going to hunt him. And he's like, I'm going to take off into this thick brush and you guys can hunt me. So we all got our red riders. And granted, probably wouldn't hurt you. It was just a BB gun. Oh, yeah. But the dads came in right when we were about to start. And I that did not go well. Spoiled <laughs> our plans. <laughs> number, one, number one, the hunter's safety in them. They were trying to teach us how to respect a gun, yep. control your muzzle. You know, and that's where we were started, and they they were not happy. You got the worst of it. I mean, you you got the brunt of the storm on that as the oldest leader that was, you know. Yeah. The rest of us got a little lecture, but yours was not pretty. No, I got a good one there, that's for sure, and I uh, rightly so. Yeah. What about when you, for that point, do you remember how you would, like, put in for tags? Was that even a thing then? Uh, not, not when I first started. We just went over there. Um I don't know. I guess I can't remember when we started having to draw tags. And in the beginning of the draw, I know it wasn't very competitive. Like, it wasn't, we wouldn't wait five, six, seven years like we do now. It was, we, we hunted every year. Um, so I don't, I, I, I don't remember that when that started to yeah, change. Yeah, I'm guessing you could have just bought an Eastern Oregon tag and gone wherever you wanted to at some point, just like archery was that way for yeah. a lot of years. Uh, just wide open. I'm looking at these pictures still here, just fascinated. You know, you look at back to the changes in gear. We go over there now, everybody has a quad cab diesel pickup, right? Every one of our, our dads, uncles, all our relatives, they made it over in – a standard cab pickup or two maximum with all of us kids. How in the hell did that happen? Well, I remember being in the back of the camper one time oh, with yeah. all the gear piled all around me, smelling like diesel and smelling uh, propane. And they Eating pull all over. the candy bars. The windows the were open, you know. I mean, they'd check on us every once in a while, make sure we were okay. But it was, it, we crowded in a lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Your dad, when this is uh, totally kind of in, in topic, but Robert and I were riding in the camper, which is just super safe, right? Uh, you know, a standard cab pickup, there's four guys in the cab, and then me and Robert as kids were in the camper. Well, your dad, being kind of the health nut he is, he brought these, I don't know, they were called Prima Bars. I don't even know that they're still made. I'll never forget that name, but they're like super duper healthy high protein bars but they were chocolate and they were, we thought they were pretty good we ate all 10 of them oh, man. in one setting and we, and we get there and your dad's like hey you know what <laughs> where all my bars go and our guts were sick you know we were just not good but uh 
funny little memory there that popped up. Well, these uh, guys have always set up some pretty nice toilets too. So I mean, oh, yeah, if you best. did need to use a toilet, they were all, they were always good about setting up a nice place to uh, alleviate yourself. Find a three trees, uh, and and then we usually make some makeshift toilet seat scenario that <laughs> doesn't usually fit your legs or uh, other parts of you very well, and uh, nail it up and strap a tarp up and off you go. The whole digging. Uh, you know, experience is always fun too. So when you guys, cause you guys all had like a big group, right? Like 10 people probably. So yeah. when you would start putting in for tags, did all 10 of you put in together? Always. My dad was a party leader constantly uh, for years and years and years until we changed it here. I don't know, not very many years ago, but. Yeah, I think we adjusted out of doing that just so Give we could always go. So, you know, we'd all split up. Some year Sam would get it, another year I would get it, but we'd all still go over even if we didn't have a tag. Um, because it is one of the things that brings us back together every single year. Yeah. Yeah, what gun were you hunting with way back in the day? What was your original rifle you were carrying around? Thirty thirty Marlin thirty thirty lever action, open sight. Did, which you, was, did you take deer with that? Yeah, I did. I, I shot... Well, I think I only shot one with that. You shot that blacktail buck. I think I might have used it. And we had a couple of doe tags. Yeah. I I can tell you how many I missed with it. <laughs> <laughs> we went on the bed, you know, uh, where where we grew up, Jason and I grew up at my dad's place, dad and mom's place. Uh, we could walk up on what we called the back 40, basically the back hill. Phenomenal blacktail hunting up there. But I, I get off school and, uh, you know, right before – or before or after football practice or whatever, and then go grab the thirty thirty and go walk up there. I missed so many deer with that thing. I couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with that gun at all. Cutting your teeth. Uh, I was terrible with it. Well, we've talked about how much confidence we have in you, Jason. Like, if, you, if you're shooting, usually that animal's going to be down. Yeah. Because we've just seen you do it time and time again. And I'm inconsistent. I've had some good years and some bad years, and I've missed some deer, and I've made some good shots. My first memory of carrying a gun... I was finally 12, so excited to carry the gun. Dad's taking me up the same little ridges we'd always hunt. And we get up top, and it's kind of like maybe 11 o'clock, so almost junk time in our minds, you know. That's usually when the deer show up. <laughs> and we're talking, and me and him or Seth are on the top of this hill, and these twin four points take off running from us. And I just watched him the whole time through my scope. Because the family rule is first guy to see, first guy to shoot. And dad had spotted him. So I was waiting for him to shoot. He's waiting for me to shoot. And he still brings up how that threw off his rhythm. He finally shoots as they're over the hill and gone, <laughs> you know, because you, but he's like, then he goes, why didn't you shoot? Why didn't you shoot? And I'm like, I was waiting for you to shoot. And he's like, well, it's your first year. I'm waiting for you to shoot, you know, and just the lack of communication on that little aspect. But seeing those nice two, they were twin four points, decent bucks. I remember the next year I was so excited to like, okay, I'm pulling the trigger no matter what. As soon as I see antlers, it's going down, you know. And then I didn't get the opportunity until I was 17, and that's when I got that first buck, which is my best buck. I was going to so. ask you, what's your memory of that north side hunt? I mean, because that was like, I remember it and have vivid memories because it was your first buck. It was a cool buck, way new area for us. Yeah, it was, a, it was the only time we ever hunted that unit. <clears throat> I remember it being a lot more brushy than the unit we typically hunted. Yep. And I was just walking on a cat, cat road with my dad and my brother and our cousin, Stefan. And, you know, I hear 
thump, thump, thump. And I turn to my left and I see that buck running with a doe straight downhill. I just remember pulling up. I had a 270 and with a four power, straight four power loop hold on it. <laughs> I just remember pulling up to his antlers, dropping on his head and just squeezing it off and watching him, you know, curl over. And then my dad didn't see any of that. He was up ahead of me with Stefan. So I go, Dad, I shot one. I got it. And he's like, well, did it have antlers? <laughs> I go, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And he's like, pretty sure. <laughs> and, I mean, Such I knew it answer. did, but in the moment, you're just saying what you say as a kid. You know, I'm a 17. I'd, I'd caught a 40-pound salmon that year, too, which is also still the biggest salmon I've ever okay. caught in a river. So it was like the best year of my life in my mind. I'm like, I'm just going to do this every year now. Dude, was that one of the first year we had radios? Because I remember, I think your dad called me either on a radio or hollered to bring like a milk jug to put the heart in. That, I remember him getting Williams the milk thing. jug yes. from you, yes, for the heart. And That's I remember hilarious. you and Robert coming to help us drag the deer. So we we had to have a way to communicate. We must have had a, a primitive. I don't think we had the the fancy ones, but I do think we had some primitive communication. Cause you guys went up that cat road and Jason and Charlie and dad were hunting a different area. And, and Robert and I walked kind of the bottom side of that up to where you guys were at kind of wide right into you. But for some reason, I remember you're having a milk jug. Yeah. Um, we always had a heart. a heart and a milk jug at camp. That was yep. always the thing. Yep. We'd soak it in water and then fry it up. Yeah. And, salt water. Yeah. That's hilarious. And then uncle Charlie would always eat the livers. Yeah. Which I, I I haven't really tried one of those. So has anybody no. here? Are, are any of us liver guys? No, we, we tried it once. We tried it uh, last year, or the year before. It was my it was my three point. I think that's three what years ago. Two years ago. It was the worst <laughs> thing ever. And we tried a testicle as well. Oh, good lord! That's the that was dad. I actually going back. That was actually the worst part. Five. By far, you think? Yeah, yeah, no, uh, yeah. I imagine that was the grossest thing you've ever experienced in your life. Frankly. Yeah, it wasn't cool. We've yeah. always wanted to try it. Well, you guys are trying to be the liver king, I reckon. But I wanted to try the hey. the tongue on a mule deer because I've seen guys cook those up, and it looks like it'd probably be pretty tasty. Uncle Charlie used to make us cow tongue sandwiches with mustard. <laughs> it, and it's it's uh, if you, I guess if you can get over what the heck you're eating, and it's not terrible, but. You know, it's just always this thought that you're eating a, a tongue of an animal. It's a little creepy, but he used to make those all the time. I've never tried deer tongue, though. Yeah. Well, the texture's odd of wow. tongue. Well, yeah, yeah liver, tongue, testicle. Yeah. <laughs> hey, no waste. I like it. Let's talk a little bit about you guys and your boys. So you've got to mentor these guys, watch them take big bucks. What does that feel like as a father? And I'll start with you, Jason, and then, Chris, you can talk about that, too. Right. Yeah, for me, it's... Uh, it's fantastic. It's one of the best things you could experience, I think, is that connection out in the woods in some pretty stressful situations when you're you're dealing with a young 12, 13-year-old boy. Um, I, I do like that first year. We were fortunate enough that Dylan had some really great success for blacktail hunting and shot two really, really nice bucks because he had a, a youth tag as well. So that helped kind of spur the fire a little bit, but the nerves that you get are, are when you're watching your son line up on a buck with a rifle and trying to talk him into it. And I was just, I was so impressed with how calm he remained um, for those first two encounters, because I can remember if I had any time at all when I was that age to shoot something, <laughs> I never hit it. I was, I just get so worked up and, I, I didn't know really, I'd been taught how to, but I could never quite 
bring it up in the moment. And I was impressed with that. That was, that was great. It was really fun to teach him uh, what I had learned from people that mentored me. And then watch him come through. It, it was great. I'd, I'd, like I said, it, I'd be way more nervous than he was. It would be like watching your kid at a sporting event, oh, right? Absolutely. You're just waiting for him to either you're going to celebrate with him or sharing the disappointment with him. For sure. Chris, how about with Jake? Well, I'll talk about Dylan real quick too, uh, and then I'll go to Jake. But Dylan, I don't know how, but as Jason's already alluded to, he's got ice water veins somehow. His first buck I remember, you know, it's just like it was just uh, – incredible to me i guess actually it wasn't your first buck second second buck but beautiful blacktail buck i mean and like jason said i was freaked out he was freaked out you know and then as you start remembering back our our uh anxiety and how we're talking to dylan do this do this do this dylan stayed as calm as a cucumber just just cool as a cucumber and just put it down it was a wonderful wonderful experience but then with jake um I actually wasn't with Jake on his first two bucks. Dylan and Jason were, which is, hey, that's just as good in my opinion. He's learning from two great guys and, um, and you know, my mentor. Um, but then the coolest hunting sp- experience to date that I can think of is we were blacktail hunting on this side, walked into this area. We were probably three or four miles up this road, kind of got to a spot a spot in the road that wide and Jason was thinking maybe we split up. And so, uh, we, we actually split up for a quick second and then he realized, Hey, let's, you know, let's get back together here. This doesn't, this doesn't make sense. So we continued her up and around and Jason spotted a buck and, you know, as, as usual, I'm trying to find it and I can't find it. So finally he gets Jake on it and they're standing kind of on this flat spot, looking up the hill, you know, into some real patchy reap rod and I still can't see the buck. So Jake gets up, you know, he doesn't like his, his, his position at all. He just didn't feel like he was stable. So very impressive to me. He, he thought, Hey, I got to get a rest. So he scurried, Jason points out this buckskin log laying, but he had to scurry up a probably a 10, 12 foot, pretty steep slope and lay across that buckskin. Once he got up there, he couldn't find the deer again. So Jason scurries up right behind him. And I'm standing back, and I get all this on video. It's the coolest experience. You see Jake settle in. It seems like it's taking forever. Um, you kind of see him get situated. Jason's trying to talk him into calming down. I imagine he was his heart was going pretty good. And uh, squeezed the trigger, and, and one shot, perfect shot, and... I mean, I just will never forget that. When we walked up on that buck and the pictures I got of that day, I'm the proudest moment as a dad, for sure. Uh, but And it brought tears to my eyes, frankly. I mean, I was super emotional. It was, I hugged Jake like I've never hugged him before and just tried to help him revel in that because you don't get that every day. It's, it's, it's a magical, magical moment. It's, it's what non-hunters will never, ever understand about what we do. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Like my antelope that, that you were a part of, Jason, uh, because of the trials on that hunt and the conditions and the weather, when I finally put – and you watched from you know your binos where I took that antelope. When I finally put that antelope on the ground, I was hugging that kid, and we were jumping up and down <laughs> because we'd been through so much to get to that point where you take – and it wasn't about – 
you're not celebrating taking an animal's life. And I think that's the part that non-hunters don't understand is they Good see point. us celebrate and they think, oh, those macho guys, they're so happy to kill something. It's not about that. It's about you finally were successful in the thing that you've been working so hard to achieve. And like we've all talked about, those memories last forever. Like you're never going to forget those experiences. Yeah. Well, go ahead. A lot of it too, I think, is when you when you do it and it works right, you do it right. Um, I think that's what we celebrate the most because we've all done it wrong. We've all taken a shot that we shouldn't have taken. Um, we, I, I've wounded a deer that I never was able to find. Those are those are what makes the successes so sweet. Yeah, when you have some of those failures, you appreciate those. I know that area you're talking about, I think, as far as we're dealing with shooting his bucks too, there's some narrow shooting corridors. Yep. I, I mean, the first time I hunted that with you guys, Chris, you had seen a three-point, and by the time we were ready, he was gone. I mean, yep. you have these brief moments to take shots, and that's it, and you got a lot of cover brush, and you can lose. I mean, blacktail, they disappear. I mean, they are just gone. Oh, Over yeah. east, you always have that mule deer that looks back and gives you one more shot, you know. It always seems like it. I was thinking about when you brought up your antelope hunt with Jason and Dylan and, and the gang. The, I don't want to say the funnest, but very, very up there in memory, um, our antelope hunt. We drew tags after, actually, I think we got a little lucky. It was eight years, I think, is what we drew, which is, how long did it take you? 15 for yeah, the same so unit. That's yeah, pretty typical. I was, I was not stoked that you guys got it so quickly. I was <laughs> a little bit, but I mean, I had just been buying points and then I'm like, well, they got it. I'll start putting in for it. And then it took me another seven years or something. So we get there. It was me, Jason, dad, and Charlie. And we set up in our normal little spot there uh, in the Ochocos um, that we deer, deer hunted many of times before. And uh, opening day, we just, you know, we're not antelope hunters. We have a general idea. It's warm. It's late August. Uh, you know, find find a water hole and do your best. But so we were kind of just perusing around and scouting. We didn't get a whole lot of opportunity to go over and scout. Uh, we ended up spotting this really nice buck, and Jason just you know basically it, it was kind of parallel on across the ridge, and Jason just paralleled along with it by himself, and. I mean, how, you followed that thing out there a long ways. I mean, it was a good long ways. Yeah, it was a long ways. I, I mean, I really never thought I'd see it again. So it ends up coming up onto the flat. You guys all know where we're talking about. And uh, ends up seeing it. And it, there was these big kind of anthill-style hills. I don't even know why they were there. They, they look like anthills, really. And he was able to get some protection behind that and put a beautiful shot on it to put unlike jason he's normally very prepared all he all he had on him i think was like an, uh, an uncle henry pocket knife <laughs> he's, he's hollering at us it didn't take a radio i mean it all happened pretty quick he's hollering at us for a knife and we can't hear him he's forever away and then finally i ended up walking all the way out there and he's like get a knife so we got to taken care of and drug it back but then you know that trip from that moment so we we got one antelope wonderful success we we're all excited and then and you know, just up the ante for me so we started walking um out of camp across the way up into a spot where we've spent many of days and in, in time hunting and the the first day there were or excuse me this would be the second day um jason i got up and jason's like that's ah, cold and tired and, and we slept outside in our cots 
And uh, so I said, all right, I'm going anyway. So I walked up there by myself. I was standing in this area, saw a couple of antelope, a little baby and, and a mama. And uh, they kind of walked up over the hill. And then all of a sudden, here comes Jason lumbering up the road. So we kind of followed up where they went over the hill and ended up keep up, keep walking in there. And it, I don't know why I have this memory, but it looked like a bunch of like old fence posts laying down, uh, just 50 of them but it was all antelope. And I mean, I didn't even know what I was looking at for a minute. All of a sudden they barrel up and start taking off single file. And you know, it's hard to pick out a good buck in that scene. So they started getting single file. I, I put what I thought was a good shot on an antelope and ended up missing it. But then we just started hiking and hiking that day and ended up taking a really, really, really nice um, antelope later that day. But it was, I mean, three, four, five miles back in there in the heat, you know, so we had to go get reinforcements to, to help us drag that thing out of there as far as to not tear up the hide and all that stuff. So great memory. Well, that's one of those things about hunting with the two of you that I remember a lot is you don't stop. The grind you're talking about, just like keep going. you guys just go. And I remember hunting that same area for mule deer with you guys. And we were, I wasn't as quiet of a walker as you both probably were. I didn't, I, w- I was slow to adapt to the nicer pants and stuff. So I was typically in blue jeans and swishing with each step, you know. And I remember you guys going, stop swishing. You know, let's go slow. And, and that area, there's some gravel. And so you got to kind of walk on the side and stuff. And so I remember that mule deer hunt that morning. I, and I don't know if this is just a, a, dream or what but i had memory of seeing a small buck being chased by a coyote that's 100 percent real i okay. promise you so that's I, good, I will good. you can vouch for that it came right at us okay and but it was chasing a small like fork and yes, buck in 100%, my mind. okay 100 and then uh we get to this ridge to ridge and you guys can tell your version of the story but we're ridge to ridge and we see this doe just standing broadside in between these two thick pieces of cover I don't know how big of a spance, not too, I mean, maybe 30 feet between the two pieces of cover. And all three of us have, you two had shooting sticks. I didn't, I was just free handing, but all three of us are, have our scopes on this doe and we're talking to her like your dad used to like, come on, Frank. But we were just (laughs) saying, we know you're not alone. We know you got something with you, but she kept looking back, but she wouldn't move. And we're in this standoff for like five plus minutes. It was, it felt like forever. It did. And Finally, she starts to move, and just enough time elapsed for all three of us to put our guns down. So all three of us put our guns down, and the giant four-point puts his head down and runs through that expanse. Like, he knew he was caught. He waited just the right amount of time. to, And then we're like, big buck, big buck, and all three of us tried to get our guns up, and we never saw him again. And I had blocked that story out, and you were telling it at another hunting trip. Yep by the campfire and I'm like I wasn't there what are you talking about I have no and you're like you were there Sam and it took me like a whole another year to remember it and then I had to come apologize to him like yeah you're right I was there (laughs) I my memory is you told that story perfectly Sam but my memory of that I can see it like I can it's almost like I'm there right now honestly because the dark chocolate of that buck's horns I'll never forget I mean they were just that was a good buck, yeah. you know, and, and obviously, you know, all hunters, you know, oh, it's a bigger, it wasn't that, but it was just a, a real premium buck for that area, and we would have been happy to take it, but like you say, we all had, we all had our eyes on our scopes looking at that doe as she was looking back, knowing there was something there, and 
the minute all of us kind of relaxed, all of a sudden that buck comes out. We're like, shoot. Yeah, that was that was one of those mistakes you make, right? Like all, all it took was one of us to keep our guns up and that deer would have been on the ground. Oh, for sure. You know? I mean, it was maybe 100 yards or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it was a, it was a, a nice, under. makeable shot. Yeah. Oh, I remember learning time. that too from, from our dads. Hey, over here, if you see a deer and it's a doe, quit looking at it and start looking around in the pockets of cover and... You know, because often there's there's another deer with it. Um, yeah, we 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 blew it on that one though. That was fun. <laughs> that was funny. But it, it, you're so you're so right, Sam. That we're walking on the edges of that that old road, I guess is what you'd call it. And all of a sudden, out of the brush comes a buck. It, it couldn't have been. I don't know how long, how far away was that from us? Not far. Yeah, close. I mean, like twenty yards maybe, right? And and then right out behind it. And I don't even know where the hell the deer went, or heck, the deer went. Excuse me for my language, but um, and then directly behind it, here's a coyote. <laughs> like, what the heck is going on? I just here? remember him barreling right towards us, like down a hillside, is my memory. And then that coyote was right behind yep, him, and yep. it was such a flash. That's why it becomes like, was that a real thing that happened? You it know, did. But it was a span of what four seconds, maybe. Yeah, maybe. You know. Yep. So, Dylan, you got more questions for us? Yes. Um, when you guys made the switch from Ochico's, then you had that in-between year for yours that you got. When did you guys decide that that, like, I'm done hunting Ochico's? Was there a reason? Yeah, 5,500 tags, I think, for there for a number of years. It just over-inundated with tags. And I think partly, um, you know, it's something our dads and grandpa did. And we'd done it so long. I think it was just kind of let's see what else we can come up with, see what else we can find out there. Um, the I next think that's kind of what drove the move. But then, you know, when you go back and look back into that, we had a lot of great times there. We did, and it's an easier tag to draw, but that was part of it. There was a lot of people, so a lot more tags in that unit, and then. I think also by the time we decided to make a change, our skill sets at Hall changed, right? We, we felt like, okay, we can transfer this skill set to another unit, use the same techniques, see some new country. Because Oregon's a big, beautiful state. And most yeah. of us have only scratched the surface on what's out there yeah. for the amount of open public land that we have the opportunity to hunt. And I think that was part of it. But also, we'd had a couple of dry years where we just couldn't find bucks. And if we did find bucks, they were little teeny bucks. And I, so I always wonder how much the the change in that law, because Ochoco's changed dramatically after they changed the cougar law, you know, with the how they could hunt them here in Oregon. And, you know, maybe that's it. I don't know. But they, they were giving out a lot of tags there. It just, it, it just seemed to be that the hunting wasn't as good there for a while. But, you know. We just went back this year and had a great time. So Well, yeah, and you look at our elk hunts, we would always see cougar activity on gut piles and things yep. like that. There is definitely a high amount of cougars, and even the rangers in that area were like, you see a cougar, shoot a cougar, yep. you know, because their animals had gotten eaten by cougars and things like that. So they, there definitely was a higher level of predation in the Ochcos. It is a big, huge unit, though, and there's lots of different pockets to hunt. Back to that uh, elk hunt, There's here's another story to bring up. Uh, that cow elk hunt that I had, the only you guys had been on that hunt a few times. I that was only my second time going on it, and we got my brother and I got a, a cow that morning. Well, then Jason, you shot your cow, and Jason hunts with a 300 Weatherby Meg, and so 
pretty good exit wound on that animal. Uh, but we got back to camp. You had decided to let her settle down. And so you, me, and Chris went after her and decided to track the blood trail. And I want to say five miles in the snow up and down the nastiest terrain, and we'd find these huge piles of blood. And I've heard, and I haven't verified this, but that elk replace their blood faster than any other mammal. And I think that's a true fact. Um, but anyway, talk about that story and kind of how we ended up getting on your elk. And then we can talk about how things transpired from there. Yeah, I... <laughs> That whole story, so before we even got hooked back up with you to come help us, I I pushed that thing for probably three miles. Yeah, I was going to say, let's clarify. He didn't decide to come back to camp. He was drugged back to camp by his younger brother. He said, let's stop doing this for a minute, please. He just gets in the zone, and he's got to go, you know, as we all know. Yeah. But we, you know, so we, we, and it was snow. There was a lot of snow. I don't know how many inches, but it was over your boots for sure and we tracked it for a long ways we kept bumping her getting it to jump up chris said hey why don't we just let it set it's like no no uh -uh. (laughs) no i'm gonna get it it's right up here and that's kind of how i get but i've kind of learned my way out of that but then when we finally got all hooked back together and that was kind of a weird thing that was land that we'd hunted our entire lives walked every square foot of that place and by the time we finally got that elk killed, we were completely lost. We, yeah, we, we were in a spot we, I couldn't even tell you how we got back there. Completely lost. But right before we found her again, uh, I decided, hey, let's split up because I think we jumped up some other elk. Yeah. And Chris and Sam kind of went down and I went up. And I walked right on top of her. Uh, and finally got it done there, but I remember hearing that shot. Me and Chris were chasing that yeah, other small whoa. group, and then that whang. So yeah. I, remember, I remember hearing your shot. So, and the, I'm certain these were two separate groups. Elk. I don't think Sam's group from the other ridge came over and headed towards us. It had to be a totally separate group. So, Jason and I, I think the previous year, maybe deer hunting, or no, I think we were elk hunting. I can't remember, but. We saw this area we went open in the morning. We'd, we had previously seen some elk, and, and obviously where you went, we had known there's elk from, from our parents and our dads and our grandpas for years. It seems like everybody kicked the herd of elk deer hunting years ago off of that group, or off of that ridge you were on. So we're walking along. We hear your shot. Didn't know it was you, but you know, thought it might. And then all of a sudden, uh, I've never had this happen since, but we see... Um, some elk coming up and we were just kind of wandering along. I think we just sat down to, to take a drink or something like that and then get up and just start walking. And then you shot and all of a sudden we see these elk and, and I took off running to this opening to where I could see them better. And all of a sudden I, I, I felt like I was having a heart attack or something. I could not breathe. I don't know why it was weird. And then Jason kept going, ends up shooting his cow, uh, it was just, it was an incredible day. But yeah, the, the walk and the, the, our continued pushing of that cow was a little frustrating. I couldn't get my big brother to quit, but uh, we finally did and ended up getting it, but it was pretty cool. How the heck did we get? Well, yeah, so that's the next part of the story. So once <laughs> once we get the animal down and we get her all dressed out, you know, we don't really know where we're at, but we have a general idea of where we could be. And I tell Jason, 
hey, I'm going to walk down to this little road. Because, you know, the hunter's code, if you find another hunter, they're going to typically help you out there. And yeah. I go, I'm going to walk down this little road and see if I can figure out where we're at and find somebody to help us. So I walk down this road, and I, I think you lose track of time out there. I think I was gone a lot longer than maybe I thought I was. But I had found this couple in a pickup. And, and I walked out all the way to the main line is where I found them. And I said, hey, we've got an elk down, and we just need help getting it back to camp or getting us back to camp so we can go get the rest of our party and whatnot. And these guys had a chainsaw with them, thankfully, because there was a couple down trees, so they couldn't get to that little first road that I had started on. So we actually had to move some logs to get back to you guys. So Jason, you got to know his character. He always, and part of it is being the oldest guy in the group, he looks out for everybody. So the whole time from the story you told me once I got back, you were just kind of like, what did that son of a gun? He got himself lost or whatever. You were just like so upset with me because you were more worried about me than trying to get this elk out of there. And I mean, that's the thing you've always kind of had to carry that burden, if you will, or that mantle of protection over all of us to keep us safe during the hunt. And, uh, yeah, tell that from your perspective. Yeah. I, I don't remember how much time it passed, but it, it had to be over an hour, hour and a half. Um, we were down there and I just started getting more scared. It was just, I thought, oh, great. I drug him out here. We ran all over the country. Now we have no idea. I don't know where he's at. He's lost. I was getting mad. Because that's kind of how I react when I get scared. Um, yeah, so I was basically cussing you, uh, wondering where the hell you were at. But it was, uh, I was never more relieved to see somebody's face than when I saw you coming back up there. Well, oh, I was yeah, so weird. happy to have brought these people back, but I'll tell you that husband in that pickup, he was not happy to be helping us. <laughs> Even though he felt like it was a hunter's code obligation, his wife was super friendly, but he just wanted to get back to hunting and we're taking him away from it to help us with our elk. And at, right as I get there, our dads are cresting the hill to start taking the elk the other direction uphill, you know? Yeah. So it was crazy. Yeah, we were. I Jason's right. We were pissed. We thought we thought you were lost, dead somewhere, and uh, it was nice to see you, frankly. But that was a fun story, man. And then later that trip, I think I got mine. That was an experience in its own right. You, I think you had left, uh, you and your brother, and uh, so Jason and I went up, gave it a day or so to kind of rest up on the hill that you were up on that ridge, and we walked up there, and we walked all the way down towards the main highway and then turned around and came all the way back, seeing all the tracks up there. It was Elk Haven that year up there. And uh, I don't, we got to this point in the in the walk where I think Jason made a decision to drop down on this little flat. And we dropped down on that flat and it was, and then we ended up jumping uh, some elk. And uh, I mean, they were initially maybe 10 yards, 15 yards. I mean, I could see that beautiful elk. And then all of a sudden, they darted around, and we took off kind of sprinting to the end of this, where this flat was. It almost went to a, I don't know, it was like a flat landing almost, but the, it wasn't a landing. It was just a big widened area. And the elk kind of came out right below us and ended up coming right out below us and stopping. And, I, I mean, it was a decent shot. So... I ended up shooting, I think I missed it the first shot, ended up shooting it and hitting it. Uh, yeah, I was aiming right for its neck, but it was kind of turned quartering to us and it had its head 
kind of covering part of its neck. So I ended up hitting it right square in the face, <laughs> which is not what I was intending, but I'll take it. it. It dropped right there. But then the funnest part of that trip was watching uh, Dad and Charlie uh, were actually, we had radios then, and we were radioed to them, hey, you know, got this done, and, and trying to get them coached into the road that was below us. And, and it, it wasn't a road. I mean, it was a goat trail. Basically, Dad had to bring his pickup in and through big mud holes and everything. But that Jason and I, uh, actually, I think Jason took over driving because Dad's not the best at driving in the snow. So uh, Dad and I were sitting in the back on the way back to camp and just sharing in that memory. I did lose my... Uh, awesome buck uh, buck knife with a gut hook on it and I'll, I'll i'm certain it's probably still sitting there bouncing buried. off of the pickup or no something. no it was uh when you know you get so excited and doing your oh, stuff yeah. you, you tend to leave things behind and and uh somebody that was else's one of, treasure so yeah somebody else has found it I'm so sure. that that was that old red pickup your dad had no it one? was the green dodge the okay. diesel uh it was like an extended cab dodge loud as any pickup I've ever heard in my life. Because we had the same experience with my cow in that we radioed those guys. And <laughs> I think it must have been an Uncle Charlie's red and silver Ford. And they came squirreling up a road that wasn't a road. Yeah. And we were so happy to see him because we were dragging it out whole, you know, just taking turns dragging her on the snow. And yeah. it was all downhill. But yep. that hunt, there were some crazy things that happened. I also remember Uncle Charlie was hunting that same ridge. And, you know, We've talked about this before, but when you're out in the snow, even if you've hunted that same ground your whole life, it's easy to get turned around. Plus, it was really cold. You know, when you're out there and you stop moving, that's when you get cold. And so I'm driving on the main highway, and I I happen to have my window down, and I don't even know why. But my window was down, and I hear, Sam! And I told my brother, I'm like, did you hear somebody yell my name? He's like, no, there's no way. Nobody's yelling your name. You know, we're, we're way out in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, I'm pulling over. So I pull over. And I hear him, Sam, again. And it's, Charlie's on the top of this ridge all the way to the highway. Oh, man. And he was so happy to get in our car and get his hands warm and have a ride back to camp instead of having to hump it back, you know? Because he had covered a lot of ground chasing elk. It's a thing when we were kids, we were so fascinated with all those stories about those walking hunts and all that stuff. And, and then when you out, go out and do it, your dad always reminds me of this. He's like, it's fun to do, but that you always seem to end up on a gravel road walking back miles, and it's just miserable. Oh, yeah. When you go cross-country, it doesn't feel that bad, no. and, you're, and you're pursuing animals. But then once you hit a road that you think you know where you're at, you may not. and maybe you go the right or the left, and maybe that's not the I did that with my brothers and the other unit that we hunt, and we'd covered this big, tall, flat, and we'd been hunting all day, and it's like 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and we finally hit a road. I'm like, oh, we'll just take the road back to camp. And we took the left instead of the right kind of thing and walked miles in the wrong direction. <laughs> and thankfully, another hunter came by, and back to that whole hunter's code thing, hey, we're camped on this spot. Oh, yeah, you guys are walking to Burns. You're, you're probably not going the right direction. <laughs> so, you know, he was kind to get us back to camp, but anyway. Um, no, it's, it's funny. Go ahead, Jason. I, I think one of the my proudest moments was with your dad on a elk hunt, a lot of snow, and he was he had some back problems. He was kind of beat up a little bit at this point, and but he was a good sport. He he hung with me, and I just kept going and going and going um, as we were tracking elk in the snow, and we get finally he'd had enough, and he said, "Hey, that's we're good. We're." five miles back, six miles back. I'm, 
I'm good. I wouldn't let you shoot one if I saw it here <laughs> uh, kind of thing. And he started walking back towards what he thought was camp. And I said, hey, Uncle Bob, where are you going? He goes, we're going to camp. I said, no, that's the wrong way. And this he, this man has hunted this ground his entire life, you know. Uh, but then I just kind of figured when you're following somebody, like when I follow my son in the woods now, it, it happens. I, I'm like, wait, we're going the wrong way. Oh, no. You know, Dylan's been paying attention. I've just been kind of dragging along. So that was kind of a fun experience. Well, that same might not have been the same hunt, but same area in the snow. And we, we were chasing deer. We had deer tags. And so me and my brother, Charlie, are chasing these tracks. And we'd seen the deer, but we never got close enough to see if there was any antlers on them, you know. And so we're chasing tracks, chasing tracks, chasing tracks. And Dad, he's like, I got to go back to the truck, guys. Like, you know, I'm done. So he turns around and heads back. But I think he knew that we were going to stay on those deer for a while and probably might have some trouble coming back. So we start coming back. And right at that point where you're starting to feel like, okay, Am I going the right way or not? I looked down and there's a pea arrow. So he had peed in the snow, an arrow. <laughs> and at first I thought it was like fresh pea. Like I smelled it first. I'm like, oh man, we must be close. I'm thinking hunting still. Yeah. And then I was like, that's in the shape of an arrow. So my dad had known that this is probably a turning point for these boys. And I know their nose are on these tracks. They're not paying attention. And when they get back to here, at least I got a sign for him. And we, we sure enough, we saw that arrow. And he, we get back to the truck. He's like, you see the sign I left for you? And I'm like, yeah, it took us a minute, but we saw it. Yeah. That's so funny, man. Yeah. Think about, you know, when, when radios got in into our camps, you know, it's so frustrating when you call after you get an animal down and the responses you get back from our dads. I mean, it could be... You know, remember when we when we got that elk of mine down, we're trying to get those guys on the radio, and they they always have some completely obscure retort that has nothing to do with what you want to talk to them about. <laughs> it's just like, you know, I don't have a good example, but you know, it takes about ten minutes to get them to understand. <laughs> that, hey, we've got an animal down. We're not joking, and we need some assistance. Well, and, like, and what Jason, do you need, Jason? You're known for that too. Like when we, used, when we used to have the radios, you'd be like. There's one right by you, Sam. Hold on. Get down. And then he'd be, he'd go, <laughs> and you're like waiting for us. You're like, oh, I missed him. I'm shooting again. <laughs> you know, you got us on that at least four times probably before we got on. Oh, it's so, fun, man. Yeah. Oh, so I, I fun. do uh, I remember that. That was fun. That was kind of just something we did. I did with you guys. That was a lot of, a lot of fun. You guys would be so confused. I, I think, you know, when we talk about hunting stories, one of the things that, that sticks with me that it's kind of a bittersweet memory, when I realized our dads were aging, uh, and they were probably just a little older than us at this time, this time, Chris and I went on an elk hunt, and we went into a deep, dark, terrible place, a long, long ways from the road. A <laughs> long ways. And we shot two bulls seven and a half, eight miles back. We finally come out 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night with the, the first load, had everything else left there. Got back to camp. The guys were really worried about us, um, but they kind of knew who we are. They were so excited that night talking about our success. And then we started walking in there that next morning. They were all coming to help us. 
man, that excitement, it, it waned quick. They're like, wait, what? What do you want to do? How, how much farther? Oh, it's, I don't know, five, six miles. <laughs> it was a and we had two goal, bulls. We, we killed two bulls in the same spot. Uh, and it was just miserably steep and just a long ways. So, yeah, that kind of showed me that it, even though they gutted it out, I mean, they worked their tails off. But They still but, talk about that canyon. Yeah, yeah. that canyon that is something else. Yeah. I mean, And then us knuckleheads on the way out, so we have, you know, really we went in there pretty light. We didn't have much. I mean, we had some water, not enough, obviously, and uh, – you know, I had each one of us had a backpack with our our normal gear that we like to pack. And on the way out, Jason's like, "Hey, I think pretty sure we can stay low and get out, basically, in this old dry creek bed." And I'm like, "Ah, there's no way. We got to get up to that ridge. We got to get up to that ridge." And I was just insistent, and we ended up hiking. I mean, that was the, first of all the dumbest thing we did. We almost, you know, we're just we had no no more water. We were exhausted. You know, it's not easy to to handle two bull elk down on the ground. Uh, and it was me, my brother, and, and our cousin Robert. And it was all we could do. We were exhausted. But yeah, the funniest thing is going back in there the next day with those guys. They're like, this is not cool at all. <laughs> you guys knuckleheads. All that excitement from the night before, it, they were like, oh, yeah, no. Never do this again. Yeah. No, I, I think that in the moment when you're in that, kind of like you're getting at how we have – we're more about the grind to get that success. And they were too. I mean, they were good hunters. They produced animals, but they know your limits a little bit also. And like just being underprepared, I feel like they were always a little more prepared than we have been at times. You know, like you're getting at not enough water, not enough snacks in the pack to be doing what you did. But when you're pursuing that animal, you're not thinking about that. You're just so happy to have that success. But then, okay, yeah. now what do I do? <laughs> Wait, were you in a part of that, like when they started going deer hunt or the deer hunts and stuff? Were you in that group? Uh, as far as the Eastern hunts? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I went on a few of them. I mean, probably seven of them or so, I would guess, if I had to. I mean, it's funny. We go through these old albums before we started talking, and there's a lot of hunts that I just don't have pictures of. And I think we could probably pool all of our collective photo albums and oh remember that hunt and i mean i have memories of camping on these terrible windy hills and we had all this yellow brush we put in our hair and stuff for (laughs) pictures and stuff and we didn't kill anything and i just remember freezing from the wind but you know you don't it's hard to place the years go by and here we've been doing this for 35 years you know jason you probably a little bit longer than that you know and it's that's a lot of years of hunting and it's hard to keep it all straight but well, I, then, because, well, I like one of my favorite memories, just hearing all the stories come back and stuff. When you guys started hunting this unit that we still currently hunt was the amount of bucks you guys would all see. Just these big bachelor groups running uh, right yeah. across the road in front of you. Yeah, that, that first time we made that change to go to the new unit, we're, we're driving into where we want to camp. And there was seven monster bucks that oh. walked in front of us in the road the day, and it was the day before season, but it's like at night because we wanted to get there and scout that day before season. So, anyway, seven of them, giant monsters, we call them the Magnificent Seven, you know, these seven giant muleys just walked down in front of us. And so, for, from a nostalgic perspective, we were like, well, this is what our grandpa was talking about. You know, yeah. we've yeah. arrived, we yeah. found the new unit. Uh, 
the challenge is, you know, as you know, that tag is every five years now. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's, yeah, I hate well, that about that. And I remember my first year drawing that tag, Uncle Chris, you were there with Jake. I missed like oh. six bucks that were just absolutely giant. So we've all gotten in talking about how calm and cool Dylan was. Well, Jason <laughs> had this wild idea, and, and I, it, not a wild idea. It was a great idea, really. Our uncle, uh, Lucky, from... Uh, my mom's side of the family had passed away and, and he always hunted with a 270. And so Jason had the 270 and he says, let's, let's bring Uncle Lucky's gun to, to memorialize him, which is really a heartfelt thing to do. Uh, so Dylan's got this 270 and back to him being calm and us being insane. So, you know, right where Charlie, your brother Charlie shot his nice dark horn buck in that unit, um, we pull up uh kind of just a glass right so we start glassing and then all of a sudden over this ridge comes i don't know how many five bucks i think think all together yeah it was like five bucks and and like the second or third buck was a a really 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 superior buck so i kind of get dylan you know onto this deer and he shoots and then you know we get through all this missed ended up missing that buck but um you know, in hindsight, if I would have just been a little calmer as his uncle, I was—I think I probably put more pressure on you than you did yourself. But it's like, there it is, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. It was—that uh, was a nice buck. I mean, it really, really, really big, mature, mature buck. And then, and then the missing continued on that trip. Until <laughs> the missing continued. I had to leave, and I think you ended up getting it done on one of your later days, right? Yeah. Shot a fork and a horn. Well, it's nice to know that other guys miss once in a while, you know. it's uh, Oh, yeah. I've missed my fair share of nice deer. And we started hunting that unit in 2006, I think. And then somehow we drew the tag in 2007. It might have been 05 the first year. But the first year we were successful was 2007. But I've had a tag for that unit since 2007, uh, I think two other times. So I should draw a tag this year. I should too, or we should too. Yeah, and I mean, we're excited to go back there. And there is, I was there during bow season, and we saw 18 different bucks. So, I mean, there's, for whatever reason, the area that we hunt, I've got to figure is a migration corridor or something, or just, I don't know. There's a lot of mule deer that hold up in there. Um, But, I mean, you can find success anywhere if you put the time in, but also do a little bit of research. But I think we want to get back to a place where we can spend some more time doing this more frequently with each other. Cause it is something I think that's kind of, we're talking about all the memories that make it such a valuable part of our upbringing and our lives, but it's like a piece of you is missing when you haven't been able to do it in a while. Oh yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you guys, and I've, I've been meaning to ask this for a while, but blacktail or mule deer for, for you guys individually, they're two so vastly different, but I just was curious to kind of go around the horn, if that's okay, Sam, and, and, and ask that question. I'll start with you, Dylan. What do you think? About which one I like? Well, like just, to hunt just, more? Or? You know, I guess which one gets you kind of charged up and, and I mean, they're two, so different, but yeah. I, I guess in that regard. Well, which one do you hold in a higher regard, I guess? I know blacktail's for me anyways, is way more difficult just because the numbers are way fewer that you see every day, especially if you don't have the right weather, you know, like if it's not pouring down rain, it's so tough to find them. Um, for one, if you're walking, it's so loud around here and it's so brushy and those deer just take one 
little step to the side and they're just completely gone. You'll never see them. Um, so when I'm successful on a, with a blacktail and I've been very fortunate enough to kill some really nice ones, um, I don't say it's greater. I don't know how to describe it, but it's, it feels more rewarding maybe, I guess. Yeah. And so for me, we only grew up with the Eastern Oregon hunt. So that holds that nostalgia. I don't feel like I'm hunting unless I'm over there and I'm smelling juniper and I'm seeing sage breath and I can actually yeah. look out. So we always kind of look down on Western Oregon as, well, so brushy, you're not going to see anything. And, you know, like you, you hunt all day to find a little bit of area where you can actually see more than five feet in front of you. Um, and I never had that much success blacktail hunting. So like in my mind, it was like, well, I don't want to go shoot a Labrador retriever. I'd rather go get a mule deer and actually have some meat in my freezer. It was that kind of, yeah, yeah. but you know, as I've matured, I have a lot more respect for these guys that can get it done over here because it's really hard hunting. Like Dylan's getting at, I mean, those deer, they disappear. You have these narrow little windows to get a shot off. They're beautiful too. I mean, they're just, yeah. there's, I see beauty in both species, right? I mean, really blacktail are a subspecies of mule deer, right? So they're, they just have changed based on habitat and I'm going to screw that up because I don't know exactly why they are the way they are, but I would say I've Real gotten science. to appreciate the blacktail so much more than I did when I was younger. And I think I looked down on it as a younger person because I wasn't doing it, you know? And then once you start doing it, it's really hard to pin them against each other because it's such a, a different experience, no, but good awesome on both yeah. fronts. I, For me, the mule deer is still, because of that nostalgic, that's the first thing that I hunted. It's always going to be my preferred thing to do, yeah. but I love doing both. Yeah, I would say, though, too, that the unit that we still currently hunt is my absolute favorite place to go. So on top of Blacktail maybe being feeling a little bit more rewarding once you actually get to punch the tag, I would pick that Eastern Oregon trip to go over there and spend a week with you guys yeah. over that Blacktail. Yeah, I think it comes down to that, too. I think the Eastern Oregon trip that we make – brings the whole family together i love blacktail hunting i do it a lot um but it's usually just one or two of you guys at a time that i'm hunting with because it's our regular lives are still going on when we go to eastern oregon our regular lives stop for however long we're over there so i, I really do like that um i i guess if I, I i i don't think i could pick one i just like to hunt i hunt yeah. the entire month of whatever um, well, yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, that's, I think that's, it's in our own backyard, the blacktail thing, which is convenient, but you're not walking away from your normal life. You might work a full day and then go hunt in the evening or whatever. So it's the nice thing about that Eastern Oregon hunt. It's a getaway. Yeah. It's a vacation for us in, in some regard. I mean, we're working hard through the whole vacation trying to find a deer, but yeah. how about you, Chris? Well, I, I guess you guys bring up some great points. The nostalgia, the feeling right when you get over the Cascades and the, the change in, in landscape, there's nothing like that feeling in my opinion. It's like, this is magical. Um, but I will say, and, and so to me that takes the cake, but I will say as a caveat to that is my brother has figured out blacktail um, single-handedly, I believe, and, and you know, the ways you have to do it, the glassing, the the putting in the hours upon hours upon hours, some of them very long um, and long spells of not seeing anything, but the reward you get when you get one of those big chocolate horn blacktail bucks. I mean, to me, once I finally got that job done, 
I felt like, you know, I kind of took another step in manhood, I guess, you know, mule deer though, will always take the cake for me. It's just the, the, that whole experience of being with family, taking the time to, to be in a different world. And, and the, I was thinking about this while we were talking earlier, that the fact that news, cell phones, all that stuff goes away for a week. And then you get back and, I mean, there's been years we've come back and some crazy things have happened in the world. It's like, hey, well, we get into the, to whatever t little town there and, and look at the newspaper and go, oh shit, that happened. Uh, that's interesting. Um, but it's, you're, you're completely isolated. It's pretty cool. So, I, I do kind of hate that the cell towers have gotten better so yeah. we can be in camp and yeah. get, uh, you know, a phone call or somebody checking. It, it's nice in some ways, but at the same time, it cheapens that for us a little bit, that getting away piece. That's why I keep that crappy cell phone coverage I have. It never works <laughs> over there. Are you on that cricket plan? You got the cricket <laughs> plan. The $5 cricket plan. But no, I, I just think, uh, you know, I, cannot, I, I just really hope we draw those tags this year. That, you know, and, and we've all gotten to a place in our lives now to where we went through some years there where it was, you know, maybe not all four of us were even over there because uh, of life events or things or family. Um, and we're at the point now that we can do that a lot more easy. And uh, yeah, even difference. with Dylan, I remember years he was would be supposed to be coming and then something would happen with school or sports, with sports yeah. or whatever. And so we didn't really get to hunt together much until later on. Yeah. But it's been it's been the great greatest though, honestly, getting able to experience all this with you guys. But one thing I do want to talk about or ask you guys about is you guys always talked about how good the cooking was and <laughs> and in the old days. And I don't know if I've got to experience much of that gourmet yet. Well, I do gotta say. <laughs> I can think of a person go ahead. I, I, I do gotta say I think we changed that more than anything. Oh yeah. So when when I first started going over east with, with the guys I mean, everything was so well planned out. They would start cooking great big roasts or stews in a Dutch oven in the morning and cook all day, great big breakfasts mid midday. And then, you know, we came over there with our crazy drive, and we'd leave in the morning and wouldn't come back till after dark. So anything that they kind of just gave up on that, I think. Um, and then, you know, they don't. Our dads don't really want to grind that hard anymore, so they may come back and make something to eat at 3 o'clock for dinner, and the time we get there, it's turned into a big glump of stew or glue or whatever you want to Ugh. use to describe it. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think when we were younger, because we stopped and enjoyed those meals, that was part of the experience. And then we got after a little more, and we missed that. And then they – and also – the, they kind of passed the torch to us and like, hey, do you guys do some of the cooking? And honestly, we're not as good a cooks as they are. No. I mean, that's that's my opinion. I mean, they, they used to be able to kind of put a bunch of things together and make it taste good. I mean, we all know when you're out in the woods, food just tastes better. Air smells cleaner. Mm -hmm. Everything is better. But I don't think you've gotten that full experience. Yeah. <laughs> for, some, for some reason, when we got the reins to cook, we always decided to start our first meal hunting off with chili dogs. Yeah, I mean, what, what a way to ruin a good trip than to start with chili dogs. But uh, one year, Jason 
had he had just got his house built uh, and he had bought a trailer while he was building his house so he's like oh, i'm just gonna tow this trailer over there we didn't really spend much time in it it was just as to have as a luxury and it was, it was pretty nice but um we'd got back from a long day of hunting the old timers didn't want to cook anything or there was like some some like three pieces of venison in a paper bag sitting in the in the elk tent and so jason goes in his trailer to whip up uh, top ramen noodles and spam. Well, for, what he did, bothered to not tell anybody is that he put bleach in his tank, in his water tank. So he's like, he just fires up the water, puts it in the pot, puts it on the stove, starts boiling, and puts you know way too many packs of top ramen in there with some diced up spam. And then it comes out and serves it to me like it's just, a, you got to have this, man. So I start eating this top ramen. It's, I'm not joking. It was like bleach, straight bleach. <laughs> guys, drinking chlorine. You guys might want to do away with this because somebody said I just tossed it over my shoulder. But, oh, Lord. Well, that spam, The, the chili the dog thing, though, even our dads used to do the chili dogs. There's something the nostalgic about throwing some bread of whatever type, throwing in some hot dogs and chili on that. Yeah, I mean, it might be a little hard on the digestive tract, <laughs> but it's, you know, it is a, I don't know. There's something, I don't, yeah, do you feel that I way? Agree. There's some nostalgia there? A chili dog. Yeah. And oh, I agree. I'll tell you, on the antelope hunt, so Jason and I had hunted hard for several days, and Dylan was there with Kyler for a little bit, and they had to take off. But um, the day before I got my antelope, we're tired. I mean, we've been in 100-degree weather, didn't drink enough water because we're pursuing the antelope. It's burned out over there in Smoky. We're back laying out to just go to bed. And he's somehow, this guy always has energy. So he's like, I'm going to make us some breakfast burritos for tomorrow. I'm like, okay, man, I can't hardly walk. But yeah, that sounds good. So he, he started whipping up these breakfast burritos. And finally it hits him. Like, I mean, I saw the switch turn off. He's like, you know, I, I think I got to just lay down for a bit. Let's just leave these on the stove for tomorrow. That's always a good plan. And, yeah, and so he had cooked a bunch of bacon, you know, and bacon grease does well overnight. So <laughs> the next morning, we were going to take him to the guy we were hunting with, and we were all excited to bring him breakfast. And the next morning, we tried to even take a bite of it. And he's like, I don't think we're that's salvageable. But it was, it was just funny how that I had lost my wind you know, three hours before he did, and it hit him right as he's making those things. He was like, he was, I literally saw it come on, and he was just like, oh, I'm going to go lay down. <laughs> <laughs> we were, we had, well, we st- another trip this year. Uh, we started off, or I guess last year, 2022, but uh, we started off with chili dogs again and uh, sleeping outside and looking up at the sky. And the first of all, the amount of uh, satellites in the sky nowadays, I mean, we never saw that when we were kids. You might see one. Sam, there was an uncountable amount of satellites going through the sky, just one after the other, which is crazy. Um, uh, but so we're sleeping there the first night. We get out there, and once we first got there, you could see that uh, when it was wet, there was a couple of bulls in there fighting. You could see the whole scene kind of out in front of us, but there was these giant, you know, mashed-in elk tracks. So we're all, oh, this is a cool place to camp, you know. The first night we're there, it was a really beautiful night, starry night, and, and we all get to sleep, and it was maybe, I don't know, two or three in the morning, and all of a sudden, not far behind us was an elk bugle. I mean, we were right in his zone. Uh, it was pretty cool, though. It just woke us all up out of a dead sleep, this giant elk bugle. I mean, he maybe was, I don't know, 50 yards from us or something. It was way cool. 
isn't some of those experiences like we've had coyotes fighting with each other and rolling in our elk tents because they're so intent on eating whatever scrap that they've had. Yeah. And we've had those experiences. I remember the first time we went to the unit that we hunt in, I was in my mom's minivan, Ford, <laughs> Ford Windstar on those gravel roads, getting in there, those washboard roads. Her, she still says her van never ran the same after that hunting trip. That's a good chance. Yeah. I beat it up pretty bad. And anyway, we're in the minivan and I've got, I think two of my brothers, maybe all three of them. I think all three of them were with me. And, you know, I'd had a little bit of whiskey that night, and I was <laughs> laying down to go to sleep, and my brothers, everybody started telling cougar stories. And they were talking about cougars catching kids. And, you know, you're not thinking about the age of my brothers at the time, but my little brother got really scared in the middle of the night, and he's trying to wake me up, and I, I wasn't to be woken up. And he kept talking to me, and I kept saying, just lay down right here, and it was a pile of rocks. <laughs> you know, I just trip. kept telling him to lay down. So then the next morning I wake up and I see a pile of puke and my brothers are nowhere to be found. And I'm like, oh, man, something, did, something got him in the night. What happened? You know, and I didn't know what had happened, but he'd gotten scared enough that he threw up. And my other brother, thankfully, better person to look out for a little <laughs> child than me, Seth, had gotten my brother and taken him into the, my mom's minivan and they'd spent the night in the minivan. Oh, I was so I was that. so happy when I opened the door and I saw them both in there all huddled up, freezing in their sleeping bags. <laughs> but it was, it's funny the things that happen. And obviously, Jason, you did a really good job of always looking out for us. I wasn't as good at, at doing your job as you were with my brothers, but they. But it's still a memory. I mean, they, we still joke about that time that I told them to lay on a pile of rocks. You I, know? I remember. I don't. I wasn't there. I don't think. But I do remember you talking about that. If Jason wasn't on any of our hunting trips, I don't think any of us would have gotten out of our sleeping bags and lit a fire, especially on those elk trips. Without you, I think we'd all be, we'd never have coffee. <laughs> And we damn sure never have a fire. Well, no, he was always the one in the tent that was stoking yeah. that fire. We would all be in our underwear. Oh. He's like, are you guys getting too cold? Let me so throw it on. He kept us. And, yeah, he would always get the coffee going. And I don't know if that's just who you are, Jason, or if it was just like you were trying to make a better experience for all of us, or it's just kind of who you are, I think. But I, For me, I just want everybody to have a great time and enjoy it and feel good about what's happening around them. I really do. Well, the, you know, we've we've got pretty upscale with our elk tent now. We got Jason brings like uh, astro turf, and I mean we're pretty dialed in. No dust piling up in there. It's we try to keep it pretty clean and keep it orderly. Um, there's something about coming back to a nice clean camp, and you know whether we had success or not, the stories, and that's you know back to what you were talking about, Sam. You know something our dads did way better than we do. We're grinding, trying to get that success. The memories they have in those middle of day camp sessions of, you know, whether we're shooting BB guns or putting eggs in trees, we did that a little bit more on this last hunt. It was so much fun, man. We had we had this perfect scene basically where we were camped. There was a big buckskin log, and that's where all our cots were laid out. And then, you know, kind of it was open for maybe 50 yards, and then there was a bunch of jack pines. So, we, I mean, it was like a contest we were placing things on strings putting hanging cigarettes on strings putting eggs in trees and plunking with our our red riders and trying to trying to get them that was one of the funnest memories i've had here and that was just this last year that was a great trip with the our dads isn't it funny how those red riders when you were a kid you're like man this thing is so accurate i can take that starling off that wire and now you go to shoot them as an adult and you're like how do we ever kill anything with well, these like things? It's like throwing a I mean, boomerang. Yeah. Honestly. Oh, yeah. You can watch that beaming <laughs> curve out of that old spring red rider. You know? 
Do you guys remember when you last time you guys had that tag over east and we were camping in that new spot and it was just a dust bowl, just windy, and in the middle of the night, that oh, we last never night we were there. Spots, Dylan. Huh? We, ne- we never pick spots yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. But that last night that you and I were there, Uncle Chris, the whole tent picked up off the ground. Oh, yeah. And just filled yep. the whole tent with dust. Yeah, it was rough. Some of those wind gusts, I mean, Charlie and I experienced that bow hunting this year. The storm came in one night, and, I mean, it was picking the whole tent up. I kept going like this just in case one of those rods would fall, you yeah. know, because our well, tent's not quite as nice as yours. We had a really – remember when we camped down that road? Uncle Bob wanted to kill us. Um Oh, so it, it was that about, one yeah. you missed. I think opening day you missed a really nice four point, if I remember correctly. It was a reverted fork, and that was Charlie's oh, first big year. And he was under a tree, and I kept trying to get him to see this buck, and he wouldn't see it. So it was this kind of reminded me of those that four point story I I told yeah. earlier, where I was is my brother's first year. I'm waiting for him to shoot. He doesn't see the deer, and I keep going. It's right under that tree. You know, <laughs> shoot him. And I wait until he's basically cresting a hill before I shoot. Yeah. Which I've learned, you just got to shoot. If you've got tags, shoot. Yeah. You get know, him because down. trying to get that other guy in on a deer. I mean, I get trying to help somebody on their first buck, trying to get him on a deer, but if they don't see the animal and you got a tag too, you better put the animal on the ground. Oh yeah. Because you're not gonna get that shot again. But yeah, that road. Oh. Keep going. No, I was just gonna say that road. So your dad was with us, and he. I'm telling you, he, by the end of that trip, we were all. It, like we all played five football games back to back to back. We were exhausted that, and that just from that road. I mean, how how many miles? It's like a mile or plus of of just cobble rock washboard. I mean, it, it was it was like a, a road you would take a jeep on an off roading competition on exactly hundred like, percent. Yeah. And we took all. Remember that kid in the middle of the night comes flying in in like a Toyota Camry or something, and he thought he was at his family's camp. And he wakes up to all of us with our pistols going, what are you doing here? Yeah, he, he <laughs> awoke to a bunch of six-foot-two-plus guys, uh, and a number of them, six-five, clinking a three fifty seven on his window. That's how he woke up, because <laughs> we didn't know what the heck he was doing there. But needless to say, he was a little spooked. But, uh, yeah, so that road, but that camp spot was incredible. But there was a whole bunch of trees around there, big, tall pines. And the whole, a couple of nights, the first couple of nights, the wind was up and all you'd hear is trees breaking and it's falling around us. So I couldn't get any sleep at all. I was worried something was going to fall in the tent. But Well, and we had a creek in the campground. I, that was I think, lovely and that was camp one of the spot. first times we had running water in camp, which was kind of yep. cool. That was the year my brother got the Tommy Boy buck. Where, That's right. Came where, back. Yeah, he shot a buck and uh, we thought it had a mortal wound and so we didn't think we needed to put another bullet in it was getting late and we wanted to get back to camp and we threw him in the back of my chevy tahoe and we got about two miles down the road and this guy motions us over he was lost and he was trying to find <laughs> his way back to camp so we told him oh you can follow us you know and then my brother we look back and my whole rig is going side to side and my brother goes hey that deer's trying to stand up in the back of your, your rig you know and he's like you got to do it i can't do it you got to do it so my brother held the deer while I dispatched the deer, but we motioned that guy to keep going. He probably thought we were crazy because he's like, you just told us to follow you, and now you're telling us, just get going down the road, you'll find it. <laughs> you know, but we had this deer to deal with, and I remember getting back to camp. My brother had made a good shot on it, um, but and this is not – I'm not that proud that that deer had to live a little bit longer than it should have, 
But we got back to camp and the smell in our rig, <laughs> our uncles were like, you got shot at, you know, and I think it was just the stress on that yeah, deer probably. before we dispatched him. So Probably. Well, I want to talk about or ask about your guys' camp mascots that you guys usually have. Leah. Yeah, why, Leah. how did that start and how long has it been going? Our, so the very first year that happened was the first year we went to our new spot. Uh, we pulled in to get some fuel. We'd been driving for about two hours. Pulled in to get some fuel. Uh, had big flatbed trailer on behind us with all our gear and tents and everything we always haul. And I was out paying the guy or doing something. I was driving, and I heard a rooster crow. <laughs> and I start looking around. I'm like, what in the heck? And sure enough, the rooster crows again. And I can't see a rooster anywhere. And then I figure out that my Uncle Charlie had stuck a rooster that was... In a cat crate. In a cat crate. <laughs> it was a rooster that would uh, would chase his grandkids. Um, it was real mean, so he was going to get rid of it. thought, what better way to do it than take it over there and feed it. But you couldn't even walk out of the tent. That thing stayed with us the entire trip. And you could not walk out of the tent without it jumping on you, trying to trying to poke your eyes out. And it would go roost in the trees at night, you know, and then it's become sort of a, not an annual tradition, but an occasional tradition where he's got a wiry old rooster that he'll bring to camp. And The funniest one, sorry to interrupt, Sam, but the funniest one is maybe the third uh, Liat is the name that I think my dad gave this uh, chicken. Uh, The funniest one, it was this rooster was doing everything it could to find a place to roost. And it wanders into the oak tent and the stove is just doing that. I mean, it's glowing red hot. And this damn rooster jumps up on top of the cross tube and starts dancing. You know, its feet had to have been just scalded. Well, what was always fun with Jason, too, is when people would drive by our camp, he'd be like, Watch out for our dog. Don't you hit our dog. And, you know, it's a rooster running around out there. People had to have thought, What in the heck are these guys up to? Well, and people would ask, you know, and we would. Well, that was here we got here. Yeah, that was always know. the story. And usually that rooster <laughs> would get dispatched by the end of the hunting trip. Well, I, I, yeah, guys would come into our camp and look at our bucks or something or talk to us. And then all of a sudden they'd hear a rooster crow in the middle of deep eastern Oregon. Well, you remember that? so funny. The ranger came in to cut those teeth out of those bucks. <laughs> here comes that rooster after <laughs> Oh, man. We, people have to be going, what? And that was the year we had that giant uh, plastic contraption for that kitchen. It's I just got a memory of it when I looked in your, your album there, Sam. It's just, I don't even know. We must have had just a fire sale on giant uh, visqueen <laughs> plastic because it, it was wrapped around every square inch of these three trees to make us a little cook shack, I guess, at our base camp. Oh, Lord, the chicken. Yeah. Well, I remember one, the only one that I've ever been around was it was roosting on the outside of the of your camp trailer in that outside kitchen sink oh, yeah. or whatever. The, remember that? No, no, he was right in on top of the cook stove that we had to keep whacking him off of that thing. <laughs> just just craft everywhere. Yeah, he, there was a mountain of rooster dung because we just kept feeding it. You know, anytime somebody didn't want whatever they had on their plate, they would fling it on the ground and the rooster to eat it. And he, he had to have been sick. It's a tradition that I don't know that I'm super attached to, you know, the, the cleanup element of it, but it has it had some fun 
components to it for sure. Oh, crack me up. Like, I, I'd be, I can take it or leave it though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't need that rooster that starts crowing at two thirty in the morning, which is what every one of these roosters does as soon as we drive it across the Cascade Mountain Range. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Sam. I could do without the rooster, probably, frankly. But it does make for a, an interesting hunt. The first year was uh, cracked me up. We were, Jason and I were like, what is that? And it's a stinking cat box that, out of Uncle Charlie's house. It looks like a cat box that's been set out in the mud for 10 years. And it's got a rooster stuffed in it, stuck in the back of the pit. He must have thrown it in last minute and just said, here you go, boys. Yeah. Well, have they, a good trip. Uh, those mule dealers have to be going, what is that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do we got here? That's that whole scene out of Bambi. Man is in the forest. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, we were there. Run, Bambi. Sure. Oh, man. <laughs> That's oh, pretty Lord. good. Well, do you got any more questions for anybody before we wrap this thing up? I don't think so. I would think... I think we've done a good job just talking through some stuff. I, th- I appreciate you guys being here. I know it's hard to get us all in the same room if we're not going on a hunting trip. So I appreciate you coming. And I just, you know, both of you as mentors out there for us, it means a lot. And I don't think you always maybe saw yourselves that way because you had the, the older guard. But the younger generation, we look to you guys for leadership and, and how to do things. And you guys taught us way more than you probably know. So it's just a pleasure to spend some time with you. Yeah, thanks for having us, buddy. No, this has been a uh, a very very fun experience looking through these pictures, and I'm glad you I'm glad you did it this way, Sam. So thank you for letting us come. Yeah, you better come again. Oh, of course, we love it. We got we we can crank up some stories here for sure. But uh, very good time. Thank you. All right, thanks, guys.